Hello everyone and thank you for the download. It's Thursday, April 9th, and this is episode 20 of the Marty Called Podcast. I'm Tim Grassy, and today I'm joined by my co-host, the Sultan Asaki. What's up, Josh? Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. <laughs> and Skipper Ben, or Ben Exotic, whatever name he's going by. What's up, Ben? That damn effing Carol Baskin, that's what's up. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Carol Baskin. <laughs> Josh, have you become well-versed or what? <laughs> I've watched the whole thing. Good, good. <laughs> Joe Exotic owned a pet shop that's l- back in the early 80s. That's uh, it was fi- It's about 15 minutes from where I'm standing and living right now. I I'd never realized uh, the attachment that guy had to North Texas, and uh, I'm kind of proud of it now. He's, How did he's you like find that out, just out of curiosity? Uh, so... Once this show broke out, essentially people from all over this area were, were like, hey, I visited that place, I went to this place, I went to that, and then, then we found out he graduated from high school right outside this area. In well, a place I think called- the fact that he graduated from high school is the fact he buried the <laughs> lead on that one. <laughs> yep. uh, graduated from a place called Pilot Point, and that led to uh, people researching the name, and there were newspaper articles written in the 80s about uh, his uh, exotic pet shop here in Arlington, Texas. Uh, believe it or not, he had issues with the public because of his uh rainbow flags he was trying to fly through the store and that just you know didn't didn't go as well uh, back uh what 40 years ago now so uh yeah people just started doing research on his name and and, and it started popping up with his connections to this area before he moved up to oklahoma so uh, Interesting. It, it finds out i mean for the last 20 years with my work i've driven to and from oklahoma city uh multiple times a year and i remember over the last 20 years there, these amazing billboards promoting his zoo and his photos all over it. And so, uh, yeah, when they put out the first trailer about what this was, I knew exactly who Joe Exotic <laughs> was. And I was super excited to watch it, and it definitely paid off. And I can't wait for this uh, rumored eighth episode that's supposed to be coming out. Ooh. I'm going to set the yeah. over-under at a half. The question is, <laughs> Pilot Point grads that went on to Ivy League schools. <laughs> Well, I got uh, frozen ivy when I was at the community college. Does that count? And now we uh, go to somebody in Pilot Point who's listening to the show for no particular reason. And yeah. like, hey, why the hell did I just get insulted? Somebody you know right now, somebody is furiously typing an email to us. <laughs> Dear <I'd> have- assholes. <laughs> Colin. <laughs> if they do reach out to us, uh, if you can get us a tiger, we might apologize. So. <laughs> I want so, a tiger. If, uh, if you've been in a cave or um well i think we're all in caves right now but uh we did a show with uh tom corliss over at wdwnt and contrary to popular belief it was not the e-ticket crew that was on there <laughs> excuse me uh fact checking team right again guys but uh <laughs> tom was nice enough to have the three of us on and we uh we were pleasantly surprised i will be uh totally honest in saying that when we went into the show, I had asked Ben and Josh to have a separate conversation on the side to tell me to back off if need be. And it wasn't necessary. It's very difficult to get angry at somebody when they're accepting of your criticism. And I think we presented it fairly. Uh, but if you haven't listened to that, I strongly encourage you to do so. We have the audio on our feed and the YouTube uh, video version of it is uh, linked to in our Facebook page as well. Yeah, I don't know if somebody bought Tom a copy of How to Win Friends and Influence People or something. Um, but honestly, I think that he handled that masterfully. Um, 
you know, and I, I will just for the, to clarify the record, I don't know, Tom, I had never interacted with him personally at all before that episode, but I, but certainly he's a public figure who's in, who's injected himself into the Disney community. And I had some, you know, negative feelings about him based on some of the work that I'd seen him do. Um, and after that episode, he completely changed my mind. Um, you know, as I, as Tim and I and Ben have discussed off air, you know, it's very, very hard to keep criticizing someone when you when you raise an issue with them and they acknowledge it and explain, you know, they're open to it. They're not dodging the question. Um, you know, I think he was very transparent and very open. Uh, and I know I'm going to catch some some crap from my friends for, you know, quote unquote, kissing his ass. Um, but look, I, I'm a person that sometimes I'm right and sometimes I'm wrong, but I'd like to think that I'm able to change my mind in the face of new information. Uh, and he came off to me as being uh, polite, well thought, well spoken. Um, and I have a, I have a lot of positive things to say about the guy now. So if that makes me a sellout, then then that's what I am. But that's that's my honest opinion. I'm certainly not getting. It's not in my. I have no interest in lying to anyone. I when I criticized him before, I was being sincere, and when I compliment him now, I'm being sincere. So take that for what it's worth. And we'll continue if we see something to criticize. We'll criticize it. It's not like we we've changed a dime on in 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 going to change the way we've always looked and covered things, but. You know, he knew Tim was coming on the show and he knew the history he had with Tim. And, you know, he didn't tell us what we could and couldn't talk about. I think it's very open with yeah. the way that conversation started. He introduced us and then he basically just said, what do you guys want to talk about? And we we just started and went in right there. Nothing was said uh, was off limits. Nothing was said that we couldn't bring up or, you know, you even brought up resin copies, which is my favorite thing from that. And and his, his reaction was genuine to what his reaction was right great. There. Like that was yeah. a highlight of, of the whole thing. Like, you know, <laughs> and he showed some, you know, respect for his former employer, but he also made it a, a pretty funny moment. You know, I mean, he said, well, no comment, but that brings back some memories. I mean, that's a comment, you know, I mean, that was a very yeah. funny moment. And I, you got to give the guy credit for, for that reaction. I, I so laughed to that point, genuinely. I, there are ways to ask questions and by no means am I, a broadcaster of the caliber of, you know, somebody that is, that is very good at this, but there are ways to, no joke. As, as evident by that explanation right there, um, <laughs> there are ways to ask questions of people that are controversial and the, the very hacky way to do it is exactly what I did. You say some people are asking this and this was a conversation that was in the chat as well, but it was something that was in my notes. But if I put the words in somebody else's mouth then the question isn't necessarily coming from me. And the question was basically about theme park connection and their uh, reputation of producing resin copies of park-used things. Um, that was one of the things that I had uh, been blocked by Tom in the past for calling out. And I'm not going to say that I will never be blocked by WDWNT and Tom in the future, but I have criticized people that I am friendly with. And I think that if uh, if we see something that is, you know, either erroneous reporting or uh, otherwise sloppy in our mind's eye, we'll still call it out. I mean, I've called out Jim Hill and I'd call him a friend. I've uh, uh, questioned Martin Smith on some things and I'd call him a friend. Uh, they may not agree with that, but I, I would call them friends. And I, d I don't really pull punches other than trying to seek out whatever the truth is. So right. uh, with with regards to Tom, I can't promise that he and I are ever going to be best friends or anything like that. And we can certainly still disagree on things. But it was a very pleasant conversation and it went about as well as we could have hoped it did. So uh, another thing that struck me is, again, without knowing the man personally, 
I, I think that I fell into the trap of assuming that he didn't really care about the parks the way that I do and that he was, you know, doing that, you know, making the clickbaity headlines for the purpose of, of making a buck without any genuine concern for the parks. Uh, and, and that, that thought of mine has gone away completely. I, th- I think he does love the parks and, and, you know, this is a guy, uh, and I don't want to misquote him, but, um, you know, he employs somewhere between 10 and 15 people on a full and part-time basis. I and think has, it was higher than that. Oh yeah. Okay. Sorry. And, and other people that are contributors up in the fifties or sixties, um, you know, good for him. I mean, let's not forget something that Walt Disney himself was an entrepreneur. This was a person who was able to tap into what people loved and to build a business enterprise around that. And if not for that commercial success and that, and that business acumen, uh, the parks that we love wouldn't exist. So when I look at someone who's, you know, building a business on top of that brand, um, I, 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 you know, I teach a business course. I love business. I, you know, some of my biggest idols are people who have, uh, you know, changed the world through their innovations. And I, I can't help but be impressed by that. And, you know, it's, it's important to remember that this guy is running a business and the fact that he is interested in being commercially successful is not mutually exclusive with his love for what he's doing. And I don't, I think that if he didn't love these parks, this isn't what he would be doing. So, um, you know, for whatever that's worth that, that, that struck me as being pretty clear that he does care about these parks in a lot of the same ways that, that we do. And it's not really his problem that you or I or Ben or anyone else didn't go out and decide to do what he did. Right. You know, right. I mean, we could have done that. We still could do that. That's the beauty of the free market, but he's chosen to do it. And there are some consequences and, and, you know, slings and arrows that come, uh, you know, attendant to that. Um, and he certainly encountered those, but in terms of reacting to them, uh, I'd certainly like to think of farming issues. I'd have done as good a job. And honestly, I'm not sure that I would have. The uh, biggest takeaway from this is I have been unblocked by WWNT. <laughs> that was uh, really the short term. We played the long con on him. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to look because one of the previous exchanges that we had, um, I had asked Tom, or I'd, I'd, Tom had put something out about previews for Pandora. So this would place this around 2017, early 2017. And I had said, I, I responded to him saying that the information is incorrect and wanted to put out a hundred dollar bet to give kids the world. Um, and which he naturally declined or actually, I think he just ignored. Um, and I'm not sure that's actually legal. I'd have to look into that. Well, regardless, uh, <laughs> the, uh, his response was something to the effect of, I bet you a hundred dollars. You never reach 80,000 followers, yeah. which I can only assume was what WDWNT's Twitter followers were in early 2017. I just took a look uh, shortly before we recorded that show. There are close to 180,000 followers. So uh, he is certainly doing well. And love him or hate him, I believe that is the most uh, most followed Disney podcaster or, or Disney website uh, out there right now. I think Gary so. actually has more followers on his YouTube channel. Uh, somebody posted that to the Kingdom Cast group a couple of days ago. His uh, so Gary, well, I don't think he wants you to know this, but I don't care. Uh, you know, he runs virtualdisneyworld.net. He'll be happy for the plug. Um, yeah. And he's been plugged by, or he's been mentioned in articles by USA Today, uh, yeah. BuzzFeed. Uh, when the parks closed, this whole being able to experience the rides virtually became a huge thing for a lot of mainstream news outlets, and his subscriptions blew up. Um, yeah, so, absolutely. But yeah, certainly, there's no doubt that Tom has had uh, great, great success, and it, it does. You know, I would have felt really bad about that success, honestly, if we'd gone on that show and he'd have been a jerk off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I, but now, you know, I found myself rooting for the guy, and you know, like I said, it's the it's this Dale Carnegie thing. You know, the, the best way to now, succeed. Now, now you're gonna get hate mail. I don't care. <laughs>
I don't look and, and like like you guys, but you know he he brought up something good, which is something that we discussed before the show. There's a lot of common ground there. You know, it doesn't mean we're sure. agree on everything. Like you said, it doesn't mean we have to be best friends. But there's certainly a shared love for the parks. There's a, a shared level of knowledge that is that puts us in a very I don't want to use the word elite because that's misplaced in this context. It puts us as outliers in society. Most people sure. don't care about amusement parks and theme parks the way we do. So you know we're we're all you know, we're all oddballs in that we have this passion and it's kind of stupid for us to turn on each other because our, you know, idiotic obsession manifests slightly different than somebody else's who's in the same group. Um, right. So I, I do think it'll be interesting to see how your relationship, uh, moves forward, Tim, with him, especially on social media, because I think we, we did a a good job on that show coming across with, you know, we were just wanting to hold some accountability. Our yeah. our comments and posts weren't coming from a place of meanness and evil. Uh, it was more yeah. just the... <laughs> there was you, no gotcha moment there. We, that's we, fair. Right. There's there no trap, you know. We right. just wanted to have a conversation. Well, I think it helps, like, talking to somebody because context is so hard to come, you know, figure out just through by reading a tweet. And I do think... Yep. Tim can tweet something and somebody who he, the comments being made at can be take offense to it very easy. But when we're discussing it, I think he maybe understands the tone and the angle you're coming from a little bit better right. by right. hearing it coming from your mouth as opposed to you just putting it out there. I mean, Twitter is engineered with its you know short form to eliminate the inefficiencies of social niceties. So right. it's it's sort of odd when people people get offended that they're not there. It's like, yeah, this is the form. I don't, I don't really do Twitter. I follow like Tom K Morris and like two other people. Cause they like the pictures they post, but I, I have to be pretty drunk and angry to tweet anything. Um, <laughs> you know, to me, it's just not a meaningful way to have a conversation because, uh, that context really matters. And, you know, to me, I guess my point is this, if I'm going to acquire information, maybe Twitter is no good place to go. If I want to be the recipient of voices, but it's not a very good forum to try and change anyone's mind. No, definitely not. Definitely not. I think we did walk away from this conversation, though, but we're all like on the same page, like you mentioned, and, and we can take Tom off our list, and that just leaves Derek as the only person that three of us hate <laughs> on Twitter. You say that, and I'm going to plug something fun that Derek and I did. We, oh, uh, we each sent each other mystery boxes of just random Disney and theme park stuff that we had. And so how did he like his horse head? <laughs> there wasn't a horse head in there, but uh, I think he did a good job giving me a bunch of random stuff and vice versa. Um, I was kind of going in the crappy Disney movies um, category of stuff. So uh, what I sent him was like a lone, ra- a lone Ranger boot, um, some some marigold seeds from Oz the Great and Powerful that had like that packaging on it. Some really obscure random stuff that were freebies at the park. God, so. You put more thought into this than my wife that I did in my wife's <laughs> anniversary present. <laughs> Josh and I, Josh and I did the same thing, but we did with sex toys. That's oh, true. Okay. I'm actually wearing three of them right now. That's did right. you Thanks. get the Gwyneth Paltrow uh, candle that smells like her <laughs> vagina? Does my voice sound full? Because I'm very full. <laughs> okay, um, I have uh, to acknowledge this because I'm I've I found that uh, that tweet about the the bet that Tom and I had, and I hovered over WDWNT, and it's it gives you like a summary of like what they're written summary is as well as who they're followed by the very first thing listed followed by Disney clickbait. <laughs> and we did, we did mention that and talk to him about that. But I think again, we did it relatively fairly and he, 
he discussed it and he said, look, we, we have had misleading uh, headlines in the past, but he also explained, which I believe has been his party line all along, that yes, the the headline is to get you into the article and the gist of the article is what's right. there. But I think, admittedly, he has gotten better about that. And uh, full disclosure, Josh has called me out in the past about some of the headlines that I've had, and I've changed my way on WW theme parks as well. Um, for me, it was more laziness because I was basically like using my site as an aggregator. So if I was taking something from the Disney Parks blog, I really wasn't changing the headline all that much. But I mean, the the problem, and this is a you know, I'm not a journalist. I didn't go to journalism school because I wanted to learn an actual skill. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, the problem is. This is a stupid analogy, but I'm going to give it anyway. The community that I live in, I live in southwestern Indiana. The terrain here is beautiful. It's it's a gorgeous place. But the urban areas have really been ruined because businesses started putting up these light up signs, you know, that have like the word of the day and all these crap. And it looks like Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, you know, it's gaudy and gross. And it's a, it's a great disservice to the land that's there. But I think there's this sense that because everybody else is doing it, that other businesses do it. So the only, it's not helping anyone, but if you're the only one who's, who is, you know, being, uh, you know, tasteful, the sense is that you are being outmoded by all the competition because this is the bar that's been set by everybody else. And I think that in the world of journalism and the online era, this is a problem that we face is because everybody's engaged in doing clickbait. If you are making, you know, perfectly objective, neutral titles for your articles, you are going to have a very low signal to noise ratio based on everybody else. And you're going to be hurt by it when you probably should be, you know, benefited that by it. That is exactly it. So, what's happening with my website. And, and I don't know what the solution to that is other than maybe to trust the audience. You know, maybe that, that supposition isn't correct. Um, you know, perhaps if you get the reputation for being the neutral, unbiased, objective Disney reporter, um, you know, you will build that following. But I don't There's know that that's things, the though. case. Like with with Tom and really Blog Mickey, I, I think right now are the two best at being, uh, you know, boot, putting boots on the ground. Really, you're going to get the reputation of having news and information first. And ultimately, the clickbait articles will get your casual fans. But if you want right. somebody to be a regular visitor to your site, you need to be consistent with the material. And there's no way that anybody that doesn't have boots on the ground can compete with Tom. Sure and blog Mickey and maybe attractions and inside the magic, but I think they've suffered. And, uh, who do you think the important audience is there? I mean, I, I, these answers both obviously, but you know, I, I wonder who do you, who do you, if you're going to take it to the lowest common denominator here and just decide to pander to a group, what's the most valuable group to pander to? Is it the theme park nerds that are checking in on a weekly basis or is it the Disney moms that, you know, go once a year, but they do this, you know, after yoga class? I mean, Tom told us that the stuff that gets traffic is not necessarily the stuff that, uh, in, in the context of, the, of it, was the four of us on the call uh, liked. It, was, mm -hmm. it wasn't the rumors. It was like the kitschy Etsy type stuff. So it is probably the content that the moms put out there, and he has found a spot on his site for that. So he gets the content out there, gets the traffic out there. It might not necessarily be the aspect of the niche within the niche that he likes, but right. he's at least generating that traffic. And I mean, again, more power to him. He, he, he doesn't necessarily have to be producing that content, but if somebody on his payroll is producing that content, then he's reaping the rewards from it. Yep. So anyway, that's so not what he called. 
What do y'all think of that Chuck E. Cheese salad bar? <laughs> that segue bad to the rescue. Tim, you want to you want to fill the listeners in on what we're talking about? There? <laughs> God. Uh, Josh, Gary, and I were on uh, the. I was say, if, you know the, if you know the name of this podcast, you're doing better than I do, but I, I uh, want you to know it. A podcast for all things, but mostly Disney uh, with Jalen Harvey. And we, we kind of took over the show when, uh, uh, <laughs> you know what, I'd say give it a listen because it was a lot of fun, but it was not whatever the intended topic was supposed to be. I think it was a, it was a good conversation, though. It was, <laughs> yes. every, all of the big items were covered. Salad bars, uh, the Imagination <laughs> Pavilion, um, buffets, sneeze guards, pretty much anything that you want to know. Chuck E. Cheese's, it. whether or not we're allowed Chuck- within 100 yards of a Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> What makes the best rape van? Um, all sorts, of, you know, the hard hitting topics. I didn't know y'all were cheating on me with Gary, uh, cheating on me and Gary behind my back again. Well, thanks. You told us you were into that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We should introduce you as Skipper Cuck from now on. <laughs> your, I love it. Your jungle, your jungle cruise conversation in Minsk get very boring when I uh, turn my mic off. And Ben is so articulate for a guy with a ball gag in his mouth. <laughs> Thank, thanks for that in the box. I, was, I didn't expect that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we we promised the last episode that we did of this show that we would continue the Jungle Cruise conversation, and we asked for more questions for Jungle Cruise and for Muppet Vision. So uh, Josh and I have been talking quite a bit, and now it's Ben's turn. Um, I'm going to kick it off with a Twitter question. Uh, this comes from David Thacker, who I believe got about 12 questions in last show. So here's one more. Uh, ben, who made Whoopi with the Sweetums costumes on? Oh, I thought we were saving that for the Muppet Vision show. Uh, <laughs> you're going to get that out now. Uh, there might or might not be a video of that, a tape of that. But uh, no, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know anybody with the Sweetums costume, but there is a whole world where doing things with costume characters are what we call face characters as well, uh, that might be out there. And I don't know when the appropriate time for that conversation is. Maybe we have an After <laughs> Dark sure episode. Is. But uh, there, there, if you've all read... our episodes After Dark episodes? <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> How dark do you uh, want it to be? <laughs> I, I I do have a picture of myself backstage with the Sweetums head on, though. So I will okay. uh, dig I'll dig that one up. Uh, that costume, again, you, you nobody was supposed to touch it unless you were the... Uh, costume character that had the sign off from the Henson uh, company to to work interesting because, because that is an actual puppeteer costume that's not just a your typical uh, furry costume that's out in the parks doing meet and greets and, and everything that, that one actually has some puppeteering to it so those people go through a whole different training process than uh, your standard in park characters so they had different rules and regulations with you know who could access that they actually had a separate break room for from the other uh muppet vision <laughs> cast members back there that that wow, very elite liter- yeah. you had you you typically had two sweetums on schedule at all times and they would alternate shows which is amazing because they're only like active for maybe two minutes total in the entire right. deal uh but it would have two on the clock that would be a little bit different early in the day and then late in the day. Uh, they, they would get down to just one, but but during your main shifts, main afternoon, they would have the two. And they had a separate area that none of the other cast members that ran that attraction could even go into. Now, they could go into our area, but we couldn't go into their area. How did that make huh. you feel? Uh, it, it, I just I didn't like that segregation back there. It, it was... Uh, <laughs> uh, no, it, it, it was fine. Uh, 
because we had a decent little break room in our in our own right. We didn't need back there with those stinky sweetums anyway. Uh, but <laughs> so no, that it, costume that, you said you had the head on. I assume it's basically like any other. You said it was a different type of puppeteering costume, but the gist of it was you've yeah, got what a body and then a head that detaches. So when Sweetums comes out the first time with the camera, oh, with the mm-hmm. camera, sorry, the flashlight, yep. you'll notice that his one arm is uh, holding the flashlight up, looking around, and then when the lines are said in the movie, his mouth moves pretty pretty slowly and up and down in timing yep. with, with the film. So one arm is holding the flashlight, the other arm is coming up through the neck and moving his bottom jaw up and down to speak, and the uh, his other arm that doesn't have the flashlight is just floating, or it's Velcroed to his side that's kind of attached to him. So... That's why he he actually is puppeteering his mouth during that scene. When he comes out back later on with the bucket of uh, water to throw in the penguins, you'll Mm -hmm. notice that Sweetums is holding the bucket with two hands. That at that point, those are both of his hands. uh, His his real hands are, are through both arms, and the way the mouth moves is the guy has to move his head up and down, his neck up and down to make that bottom jaw flap. Oh, that sounds terrible. Yeah, so you'll notice that at those points, the the mouth is just flying up and down, and there's not really any uh, uh, timing like mm-hmm. you see him the first time he comes out. Then he throws that water on him, he exits stage left, and then he comes back on stage right at the very end with the after the big explosion. And at that point, again, he's moving the mouth with the hand, and one of the arms is uh, it's just fake and floating off to the side. So again, that's there's actual puppeteering with the moving of the head and moving of the jaw. Than, uh, than you have with your standard, you know, characters in park. Take that, David. You thought you were going to ask a wise-ass question, and we got something useful. Um, <laughs> boom. Suck it. <laughs> That's what you get uh, for participating. I believe, and Ben, you may know this, that when they had Talking Mickey, that the articulation of his mouth was with the hand. Uh, like there was some something in the glove where it, it could move the mouth that way. But I, I feel that, like I've heard other... Uh, other characters have used movements of the hand or movements of the arm to uh, to open and close their mouth or blink their eyes or something to that effect. So, and I and I don't know on that that all came on line way after I was there. I always always thought or heard it was a se- separate person on the side, kind of controlling maybe through a computer system, uh, and that the person Occam's razor. It's always the simplest solution. Yes, yeah, so I, I don't I don't know how that exactly shaped out but based on how uh those convers like the the things that mickey would say matched up a lot of times with what your kid might be wearing or things like that it seems like somebody off on the side had to be making those decisions that the actor then just kind of had to play along with or maybe had an earpiece being told what was about to be said that, he, okay. that they could then uh you know simulate an action you know movements to go along with what somebody else is programming and pushing through if any listeners have actually played any of those roles, I'd love to hear from them. For what it's worth, I dated a girl back in my 20s who played a, uh, not a face character, but a, what do they call them? Um, not a, you know, the ones that have the mask a f- on. A foam head? Yeah. yeah there's, a, there's a term for it that I, I don't remember. And she said that the one she wore had a fan in it. Um, and one day the fan failed, like in July oh, or God. August. And she basically almost passed out on stage. And they had to, you know, quickly... Uh, you know, shuttle her, <laughs> get her cooled off. You're sleeping, people. <laughs> I got her pretty hot, too, for what it's worth. <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah. Um, let me move over to some of the Jungle Cruise questions that are over on Facebook. Uh, this one comes to us from Skipper Drew, actually, uh, another former Jungle Cruise skipper. 
uh, Drew Cantwell, marathoning a boat was a very popular challenge back during my time. Not for sure if this was a thing when you were working. If so, how many consecutive trips did you make around the river before rotating to your next position? Uh, it definitely was. And I th- actually, it's something that was done at many attractions. Uh, we actually had marathoning that happened over at Muppets as well, uh, where you would let people bump around you in your rotation and stay in one spot as long as you could. Over at Muppets, it was always who could sit in the theater the longest. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 the person who's up underneath Waldorf and Statler that introduces the show and then also uh, talks at the end of the show for people to exit, that role between those two parts of the movie, they go to the, a back bench at the very back corner of the theater and sit down, and, and they sit there the entire show. One, you're there to watch uh, and make sure the audio animatronics and all the effects in the theater are working, because there are certain things in there that if they go, uh, if they break or go 101, is uh, what we call it, it's uh, big enough for us to stop the show. And that's when you'd have a, uh, you'd clear the theater and and you'd close down the attraction until uh, maintenance could get it up and running again. But also, it's kind of like Chinese water tor- torture where you're sitting in there and you're watching that same film over and over <laughs> and over and over again. So we would, you would actually get a nice break because at that time, you're not having to deal with guests. You're not having to walk around. You're not sorting glasses. You're not out in the heat, but you are having to watch that film over and over again. Uh, so same thing over at Jungle Cruise. I, when I saw that question, I definitely know it went on. I think the most I did was seven or eight trips. Uh, it seems a lot easier than it sounds, and seven or eight sounds like it's not very many at all. But by that seventh and eighth time, you're you're dying to get off uh, that boat yeah, just because are. of the exhaustion oh, of it. And that uh, sounds like it, a lot to me. Uh, to be yeah. honest. It, it is until you. I mean, there's other positions that are like load and unload, not a big deal, but you don't want to be, I, I'd much rather be on the boat seven or eight times than outside uh, straightening strollers up. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so, you know, e- even on the boat, you're at least like shaded uh, at that point. There's, there's areas of that attraction. If you're at the greeter position, if you're doing fast pass, if you're just having to deal with guests and answer questions that you just don't want to mess with, you know, it's the, the, mindless. Like at least on the boat, yeah. you know, you got to be on your toes. And while that does, yep. I feel, I think that your job spieling was probably the closest thing I can compare is like teaching a class. Like you have to be on, you know, yeah. you, you can't just let your guard down to the point where you're, you know, just off in your own world or it, it completely crumbles on itself. And that, that does take a lot out of you, but at least for me, and I, I know a lot of people are different. I would much rather do that as stressful and tiring as it is than, than have mindless work to do for hours on end. That would be literal hell for me. Yeah. So what happens there is uh, everybody that works any attraction has their favorite position and you'll, you'll pick up on it real fast, especially if you're in a rotation with that person that oftentimes if they're, if they find themselves in their favorite position and they don't want to move to the next position, that's through the cast. Back then it was all through manual uh, bump systems where we, we all, uh, did the bumping on our own. Now it's through the cast deployment system where a computer tells you where's the next spot that you need to go. Uh, but people often would say, hey, bump around me or hey, I'll stick here if you go take my next job, things like that. And for the Jungle Cruise, uh, my favorite spot was on the boat. I'd much rather be there than any other position. And honestly, the main reason for it is time moved so much faster when you're on the boat. Yeah, I can see that. makes sense. If you're out at Greeter and... You know, an hour seems like two hours. Whereas yeah. when you're on a boat, you're like, oh my God, it's, you know, three o'clock already. Where'd the time go? So uh, with this computerized system, is there any flexibility left to the CMs to, to do that? Or do they have to adhere rigidly to whatever the computer says? Uh, so, and this is, from what I understand, this is still the same way because they tried to put the computer system at the Jungle Cruise and it just does not work. You have to, you have to do a manual, smaller 
rotation there for it to work. Because if it doesn't, the problem is somebody will get stuck on the boat. The computer won't recognize that Joe has been on the boat for the last hour and a half. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great system. (laughs) Right. So, and they had that problem when they first put it in. Joe's actually still there right now. Yeah. Sounds like John Taffer is going to yell at Disney's system the way that they. (laughs) (laughs) And so the Jungle Cruise is broken down into like, uh, sometimes you'll have a three man early in the day, but it's usually four to six man rotations. And, two of those spots in the rotation are going to be on a boat and then two other spots are going to be a dock positions and then you'll have a break position and it just all kind of tears off. But usually you, you, don't, you never had more than two uh, boat positions. And even in, when that rotation is done the correct way, you were never on the boat more than twice. Uh, sometimes you'd have a third if somebody had a lunch and you just got unfortunately stuck there, but uh, your lunches were 30 minutes. The boat rides were supposed to take 10 minutes each. So by the third time around, you were supposed to be bumped off that boat uh, based on how that rotation was. Now the computer system that's used everywhere else, uh, it's up to whatever the computer wants you to do. And you could, you could find yourself in that same position multiple times. You could find yourself not doing a position for an entire shift just because it never fell to you. Uh, when your name came up to punch your I number think you in, you might timer. be treating the computer a bit anthropomorphically. Just for the record, <laughs> the computer didn't really feel that you were suited for this today. Well, <laughs> what, the kind com- of, what kind of mood is the computer in? <laughs> yeah, the the computer would throw out weird. So my my first time at Muppets, it was manual bumps, which was awesome because we would stack the bumps where everybody would bump in at one time, and we could clear an entire rotation with like four people, four or five people going in at once. And so if that were the case, those four or five people that were in a position at that time, they would move four or five spots ahead, but you could never move back to the first position without taking a 15 minute break. So we were able to explain that a little more. I might just be being dense, but having never worked the attraction, I don't have a good visual of what you just said. So let me walk through on Muppets. The first position is greeter position, which is out front of the out front of, and this is from, when I was there, and I believe it's very similar now, if not one or two changes. But the first position is greeter. The second position was podium. So right inside the door, uh, that's the person that keeps track of how many people are coming okay. into the theater. Yep. When I worked there, that was also where we you handed out all the glasses. Now you get the glasses at the end of the hallway. Okay. So that's podium. Then you had pre-show, which was... Uh, the person that does the spieling for people to go in and out of the theater, uh, to, to enter the theater. Then you had the theater position, which was the one I was talking about earlier that, uh, stands underneath Waldorf and Statler. Uh, then you had exit and that person's, uh, was in charge of bringing all the glasses in after every show. And then after exit, you had strollers. So one person <sighs> had to go out to the courtyard, straighten up strollers. And then after you got through strollers, you took a 15 minute break. So when so you say bumping everybody, you're saying everyone just moves one position ahead? Is that yes, what you were doing? So, so that makes sense. Why would you not always do it that way? It, it, it was awesome. And so the, the day starts with one person in every one of those positions. Sure. And your, your first position of the day could be that exit slash stroller position. Right. So when that next person comes in and clocks in at 10 a.m. and they bump into their first spot at the greeter position, everybody bumps a spot back. And that person who started their day at exit automatically gets a 15-minute break because they were just the lucky one to be at the exit position first. And then they would take their 15-minute break, and when it was over, they would then go to the greeter position, and everybody would bump through. So you start the day with just the minimum number of people needed to run the attraction. 
And then as the day progresses, along with how crowds build up during the day, the more people come and work the attraction without people necessarily getting off. The first people to get off during the day didn't usually happen until like two or three o'clock in the afternoon. So you could find yourself getting there uh, like at 11 a.m. where five people are all clocking in at the same time because they were all scheduled to start at 11 and they would all bump in at the same time. And how and do we, they how do they add staff to that attraction based on your description? Do they have multiple people at each post or is there some other position that you take? So, no, you would have multiple people on break. How does that help uh, address the crowd? I don't know, but it allowed you to get a lot of breaks. <laughs> I mean, so I, and I, I will I tell admit, you, I will t- I, I'll never... tell you this on my side just just for one and this might help you answer your question right there. There was two union leaders Okay. (laughs) And we're done. Done. (laughs) Yep. There were Muppets was Muppets was and is a desired attraction at least back in the day for that reason. Now the cast deployment system of the computer has changed that up quite a bit, but back in the day, people wanted to work Muppets because it was a cushiony job. It was awesome, and you got to take more breaks than anybody. Made a decision that makes no sense whatsoever for the actual job they're serving. Right? Yeah. Well, we was sick, so the union sent these other five people in. We we had union leaders working the attraction, and yeah, I liked it. (laughs) There's too Uh, many people here overwhelming these five workers. What we need is more people on break. (laughs) Genius. We we, I have this is why business people don't like unions. By the way. I, I, I don't know if I posted the picture, like I said, about the mojo uh, from yeah, last time. Did. I, I need to, did I get that one up there? Yeah. I've got other things. We we did crafts in the break room and through the hallways back in the day. We did stupid things because we were on break so many times that we just made fun stuff up. So one one time uh, with Star Wars Weekend, Is somebody- the reason why we got My Magic Plus and Jay Rizzullo thought things could be more efficient? Is it your fault? <laughs> Possibly. Uh <laughs> Well, we, the 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 uh, fast passes that you see outside of Philhar Magic right now. Yep, those were redone ones from Muppets. Those yeah, were originally over at Muppets, and we I was there during this time. We would see somebody walk up with a a ticket to put get a fast pass, and we would actively sprint out there and tell them, "Don't do that." You can walk right in right now. Right. We we wanted to see how few fast passes could get used during the day for our attraction because we all thought it was stupid they got to put in there. And we had it down so low that they finally said, we don't need those machines here. They took them out and moved them over uh, to the, you know, retrofit, changed them up, themed them right. up and put them over. At, uh, this is what uh, happens people. when you shoehorn a solution into a situation that never had a problem. But I'll I'll put some pictures because with that we I found some other ones where like I said uh, one time somebody went over to Star Tours from Star uh, they found a box of the autograph cards from Star Wars weekends of all okay. the different you know D list actors that were there and we brought those over and we would keep the photos on it but then we would change the actor name or what their role was in Star Wars and it was usually something very vulgar or <laughs> obscene and we pasted those all over the walls and then uh, what was the uh, the Franklin Mint plates remember those yep back in the day you'd order Not all them get- plates will appreciate in value Exactly. So one time we went and bought stacks and stacks of paper plates and we decided to make our own Franklin Mint collections. (laughs) And one theme was the round things of Star Wars. Uh, My favorite one that I did was uh, Chewbacca's nipple. Uh, (laughs) We we brought in crayons and like we would have five, six, seven people on break and we'd all be drawing on paper plates to post tape up on the walls. And, uh, that's just how that so it wasn't officially or efficiently ran. If you wanted to get released early 
uh, you always got released early from Muppets because we just didn't need the number of people that that they would always schedule to put in there, and they never corrected that. It would be the same every single day. We would have more than enough people to to, to uh, run that thing, and uh, but we never complained about it because we would spend half our day on break. This type of decor would be perfect for, I mean, not necessarily appropriate, but like the type of stuff that would be perfect for Skipper Canteen. And like, yeah, it, yeah. like that type of fodder is, I'm not that you were a skipper in this role, but it's what the skippers are creating in their spare time is exactly the type of stuff that should have been used in some way, shape or form in there. You could argue in Pizza Rizzo as well. Um, you mentioned fast pass and my ears perked up. I do have a couple of uh, Muppets fast passes, but uh, what was the time frame that you were at Muppets and Jungle Cruise? Probably early 2000s, I'm guessing. Okay, Muppets was summer of 99. Okay. Jungle Cruise was summer of 2000. And Muppets again, summer 2002. Okay, so Muppets only would have had Fast Pass in 99, but Jungle Cruise had it pretty much daily in 2000 when you were doing it. Yeah, yep. How did they... That's why. That's why how I learned all my fast pass secrets that I would use. As a, <laughs> all as the a guest. Like press the button in the back and get your yep. bonus ones. Yep. Yep. What was the What were the distribution rules for, or not necessarily distribution rules, but like uh, allocation rules of people uh, loading from fast pass versus standby on Jungle Cruise? Uh, I can't remember the number exactly. It was somewhere twenty, like twenty fast passes for every one. Standby. I mean, it was it was definitely that seems slant- aggressive, but yeah, it, it was slanted way in favor of the fast pass. That's why people loved me at that uh, the split point where we had merged the two mm-hmm. uh, because I, may, I I had it way more even than that. Um, I, I I almost did half and half to be honest with you. I wanted to move that standby line through you know as quickly as I could, mainly because and I could do that unless fast pass was like. Backed, backed up, up all yeah. the way to the entrance. If it wasn't, then I, I mean, those guests weren't standing there very long at all. Uh, and I never felt bad about making them wait five minutes to get on a boat. If it meant getting a few more through the standby line quicker. Jungle is also like a mid range demand fast pass in 2000. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't any of the mountains. No. So, um, capacity is probably lower than splash though. Was it like 1200, 1300? Do you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head, but yeah, I, it's, it is lower. So. Uh, and we, we never, I can't tell you one time that we used all of our fast passes in a day. We, yeah, I, I don't done. remember ever running out of uh, fast passes on distribution. So there, there, it was very rarely where I couldn't get away with doing it. Now you would, if you got caught or something, or if a manager came by and saw that going on, they would, mm-hmm. they would mention it to you and bring it up and say, you're letting too many through, but you know, then the manager would walk away and would never know again. This is a, you know, a question you might not know the answer to, but did you ever have the sense? I, I think we who love Disney want to think that there's some master plan and there's some intelligence behind these decisions. Uh, and you talked to, you've talked, you know, for the last 15 minutes about how you think that the fast pass situation at Muppets didn't make sense. Do you, was, do you, did you ever sense that there was a strategy play there that they were trying to achieve? Um, or did it just seem like they shoehorned the fast pass system onto this ride for no good reason? In other words, was there a strategy where the implementation failed or was it just nonsense through and through in your opinion? I could tell you th- this was pre, you know, my magic plus and them putting fast pass everywhere. Our, internally, we were talking when, when we saw this, these were going in and, and being used uh, amongst ourselves within Muppets. 
we were already getting the idea that man, they're just trying to put fast pass everywhere. Yeah. Okay. And it wasn't yeah. necessarily because that's that's my sense for sure. Yeah. Which yeah, doesn't so, make any sense. No. Because they know, had it. They had it on Muppets. They had it on uh, Lights, Motors, Action when that opened up, and maybe like the first summer for something like that. But in general, Fast Pass is unnecessary on a show if it's not giving you preferred viewing. And back back in the day, back during that time, it does it every once in a while now. But there, I mean, there was a good three hour window during the day when you had to wait in line for Muppets mm-hmm. uh, for like one show, right? You Basically. would wait. Sometimes you would get up there where you were sitting out there for two shows. Okay. Uh, but it was only for about a three hours at the absolute max. It was usually about a two hour window around lunch where we would hit a pretty high capacity. And then after that, it was you you either came in halfway during a pre-show or you had to hold outside until that pre-show ended. And then you would automatically load in a pre-show, which for us you know, we consider pre-show part of the show at that, at that attraction. Sure. Yeah, of course. We, it's a great we, I would actually tell people if they were walking up and they were going to walk in for the final three minutes of pre-show, I would recommend to them, Hey, why don't you guys wait out here for a few minutes so you can get the whole experience. You've missed ha- you know, a, a good portion of what right. you really yeah. should see for this attraction. And oftentimes they'd be like, Hey, thanks for letting me know that. Yeah. We'll wait out here for a few minutes and, until the next pre-show starts and come in. Cause Muppets pre-show is not like any other, not like many other pre-shows where I, I don't even like to call it a pre-show it's the it's it is it's part, the first of, part the of the show, show. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah agreed why don't we move it, on to the next oh sorry well, go ahead before you do i want i wanted to go around the horn and this might be a little much more of a deviation you guys want to take and if so we can do it another time but w- i'm just curious what do you think the overarching goal from the macro level of fast pass is to get people words, in shops i think that's what pe- it was to get, to get people, people to spend in shops money. yeah to get people to spend money by not waiting in line. If you're waiting mm-hmm. in line for an attraction and physically standing in a line, then you're not okay. spending money. That's, but, I think, yeah. what the goal was. I don't think it, it ever would achieved you, that. But w- Yeah, I was going to say, wouldn't you agree that if you put Fast Pass, if that is the overarching strategy, which that makes perfect sense, it's hard to argue with it, putting Fast Pass in attractions where you don't need it, which ultimately ties up more people because mm-hmm. it lowers the ride capacity overall, um, that would actually serve the opposite agenda, wouldn't you think? I don't necessarily agree with your uh, assessment that it lowers the ride capacity overall. Uh, it lowers the efficiency of the ride from an operation standpoint, but not necessarily uh, the actual capacity of the ride. Can you explain to me what you think the difference between those two things are? The difference is that you, Fast Pass requires more people to operate an attraction than not having Fast Pass. Okay, but I see. The, the physical capacity, the throughput doesn't change. You just have some people waiting less okay. time, some people waiting more time. Okay, I'll buy that. So, like, the average, if you were to eliminate, let's take an attraction like Space Mountain. Um, mm-hmm. If you eliminated Fast Pass from that attraction, you might have an hour-long wait consistently. And if you were to average the wait time of the people that waited for your Fast Pass for 10 minutes or the people that waited standby for 90 minutes, then those aren't equal ha- those aren't equal pools of people. But the average wait time across all people that rode Space Mountain is still going to be 60 minutes. So I just came up with a better solution. Do you want to hear it? Go for it. Buy merch. Go to the front of the line. Okay. Why so not? The bigger the spender. Why? Yeah. I mean, l- let's take the abstraction out of it, which creates a tremendous amount of variables. Nobody really understands the system. Everyone feels like they're getting screwed over. Uh, if what you're trying to do is drive merchandise spending, then tie that. Dr- you know, why hide the ball? Tell people. You know, th- the days of Disney being Coca Cola, where the billionaire and the poor person have the same product, those are long gone. 
right? DVC was the the thesis statement on that, that Disney is not this egalitarian world where everyone gets the same thing. The more money you have, the better your Disney experience is, period. So if what Disney really wants to do is provide the best in-park experience to the people who buy the most merch, say, look, this is the system, this is how it works. At least then everyone can actually do it. It would probably drive their sales up. Am I the CEO yet? Did I just, did I break it? <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> I think Disney knows that there are guest satisfaction levels that come with waiting for a certain period of time for any given attraction. I agree with that 100%, by the way. A walk, walking on sometimes deprives you of the joy. Right. So what, what they did with FastPass, what they did with FastPass Plus by putting it in more places, and FastPass Plus is especially guilty of this, where they put it in places where it doesn't belong and they pad and artificially inflate um, the standby numbers, and it's really to deceive guests, to effectively yeah. say that you are getting something for free by bypassing a line that we've exactly. artificially created. Exactly. And that's, I object to that. I, I don't think that that's how you treat customers. So, so to that point, back in the days of Paper FastPass, what they did do operationally is exactly what Ben said, that yes, they had rolled it out everywhere. They had it at places like Haunted Mansion and uh, uh Muppets and places that didn't generally need it at that at that point in time, but they were also smart enough to shut them off. And Ben, you probably had a couple of days over at Jungle Cruise, maybe not in the summer, I guess, but Jungle Cruise would shut off their fast pass machines on slower days as well. I've definitely seen that. But um, now with Fast Pass Plus, they don't do that. And the reality is, they don't need to have. Uh, it's a small world having fast pass 365 days a year, maybe 65 days a year. And that's what I'd like to see that uh, if you're going to insist on using it everywhere, be a little bit more selective on what days things like the mad tea party has fast pass, like space mountain. All right. Every day, uh, your other marquee attractions every day, but right. your, your things that have, you know, 2,500 people an hour. If you don't anticipate that the wait time is going to be more than half an hour, then don't put FastPass on it. I almost feel like the people who should be in charge of this are like urban planners, like the people yeah. who control the, the you know the stoplight cadence in big cities. Like they understand the dynamic nature of crowds, and that you can't. There's no such thing as a perfect programming of you know intersection traffic signals that just works all the time, right? You have to adjust that dynamically based on what's going on. So sure. I think what you're saying is exactly correct. And there are people who spend their whole lives studying that. I think it's an art form you know, and a science. I, I certainly couldn't do it. But it doesn't seem to me, when I walk up to Spaceship Earth and I see the fast pass there and you look at the cues that are there typically – you know, it doesn't seem that that sort of nuanced decision making is happening. It seems like a very blunt brush that they they thrust fast pass onto every attraction with. I definitely don't think that they're doing it. The implementation they have that I've seen certainly doesn't seem like it's ideal. Uh, last fast pass point and spaceship Earth is the reason for it. Something like that, you actually have to pick some attractions you can kind of say a general blanket thing that on you know xyz days like christmas week or fourth of july or things like that these are the ones that get a fast pass but something like sure. spaceship earth has a very unique dynamic with it in that the first three hours of the day it is generally busy and i could see that being an attraction where like up until say one o'clock that has fast pass and after that standby only i could it, see it, them it seems being like this data can be modeled like yeah, you know, I Len, mean, get on that. Well, well, I mean, you know, and, and and I don't think you're wrong there. I mean, Len, you know, I actually looked him up. He's got a pretty interesting background in you know medicine and stuff. But I mean, it's all statistics and, and data processing. He's using um, what he learned in Disney to. 
do something f- far more functional that's, <laughs> with, with medicine. That's interesting, you, yeah. you know. But but Disney certainly, if there's any value prop that My Magic Plus has, it's that it provides Disney with a lot of this with this data. The yeah. data are only useful if the analytics that you apply to it can yield, you know, actionable steps that you can take in order to improve your business model. And that's yeah. the part where I think Disney fell down. It's, there's no doubt in my mind that the the My Magic Plus investment was justified by the mining of data that they would get. But what have they done with it? it, it you know, to the extent yeah. that the that there was an Nothing. objective to make the guest experience better, I have to say they failed. Right. But that doesn't mean that they can't. They still have that data. Now, honestly, I think there's a reasonable question to ask, is all of the data that they have so far useless uh, in context of the future world after <laughs> future world, see what I did there, uh, you know, in the world post Corona, um, I think that guest behavior might change in a way that probably warrants some, uh, consideration because I'm not sure, you know, there's never been a desire for people to stand shoulder to shoulder with people for hours on end, right. but the, the implications of that are certainly different now than they were three weeks ago or, or a month ago. So, um, it's interesting to me what, what, what changes we might see operationally based on, you know, the predilections of the typical guest in a world where they think they're going to, you know, potentially die if they stand too close to someone. Perhaps that's a show topic for uh, next week or the week after. But uh, speaking of salad bars, John Kilty asks. <laughs> wow. I'd, I'd <laughs> like to segue? Get, <laughs> it was, and it's going to be a non sequitur as well. Uh, John Kilty asks, I'd like to get Ben's thoughts on the Walt Disney World version versus the Disneyland version. Obviously, he's only worked the Walt Disney World version, but I think he's been to Disneyland as a guest. And Ben, I don't know if you've been to any of the overseas parks to see their Jungle Cruise versions as well. But uh, thoughts on, on Disney World versus Disneyland? We lost Ben. Do we lose bad? Uh, oh, so <laughs> I, I I fell asleep during y'all's conversation on <laughs> capacity efficiencies and fast pass. Sorry. Uh, back to me. No. Uh, <laughs> back to uh, me. <laughs> Over to you, man. The important discussion uh, underway. Well, there's ben only just one way. Threw the show to himself. That's awesome. That's a, <laughs> that is a first in the history of Marty Called. Well done, sir. Uh, when it comes to rivalries between East Coast West Coast, I mean. There's only one way to put Thug this. Life. West Coast is uh, West Coast stinks. East Coast is the best coast. Uh, yeah, I mean, I like them both. But you know, as a Jungle Cruise skipper in uh, Florida, I can't say that I like the California one better than ours. Even if uh, maybe 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 it it adds a little. I, I I the thing I like the most over there that's allowed for some creativity in their version of the script is the reworking of the ride next to the Indiana Jones exactly. queue. Uh, which makes for a lot of fun. That's some of my favorite jokes, you know, yeah. the, the, the temple of the three hour line and things like that. I would have loved to have gotten the chance to do some of those jokes over there. I don't, I, maybe, maybe it is just me. Maybe it's me going around it over and over again. I think the Florida version makes a little bit more sense as a storyline. Whereas the one in California just kind of jumps from place to place to place. And I think it does hurt a little bit having now having to incorporate that jungle, uh, the, the, the Indiana Jones area and changing the way the river originally flowed. But there's, it just seems right at the beginning though. It, it, it's odd to me though. Like it's, it's almost the exact opposite. Like you're in the Indian elephant bathing pool right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Whereas I like that as the grand finale in Florida. I think that has the best use of the audio animatronics. You're surrounded by elephants all over the place. It is a grand finale type scene. And in California, it's always just seemed odd to me. Like you're, you're leading off with that. And I don't know if there's much better throughout the ride, uh, 
than that first scene. Everything else is just a little bit less. So, uh, personally, I like the one in Florida. Now, like the, the, which one is it? The, uh, the, uh, which one has the action sequence next to the cave and then has the projection mapping inside of the temple scene? There's projection mapping in Tokyo. Okay. The the other interesting thing in Tokyo is there's music on the savanna. Okay. Um, which was which was interesting, but I like the projection mapping in in the temple scene. The temple to me in Florida uh has always just been okay. Uh, again, it's the rest point. I do think it lends itself to being a uh, a plus if you know if, if Florida wanted to add the projection mapping in there and, and do a little bit more uh, thrilling stuff inside the temple, I'd be perfectly fine with that. So just, and, and again, that's just me seeing YouTube videos. I've never seen that in person, but if that were, uh, I've always been impressed by what they've done inside that room. It does kind of create a barrier and a reveal for the elephant scene yeah. at the end, which is kind of yeah. nice. What? How do you feel about the piranhas in the Disneyland scene and the Disneyland version? I think they're pretty cool. I do as well. I just don't know that there's joke fodder there. So no, like no, it was it an was addition, just... but it's not really – when you're adding something to an attraction like the Jungle Cruise, you're adding it to have commentary on it. So it's a yeah. cool effect. It's almost like the mermaids is, added but... to the uh, Pirates ride. I'm sorry? The mermaids you say? Yeah, when they added the pirate, the, the, the video screens under the water with the mermaids floating <laughs> by that just you barely saw. And they, you know, they removed them years later, but they just didn't add anything. The piranhas are almost like the mermaids of, uh, okay. of pirates. No, the, the question that I was going to ask and you effectively answered it was, are there jokes in the Disneyland version that you, can, that, you, that you would like to do because the versions are different? And I think the Indiana Jones section lends itself to that. I also like the Bengal tiger joke about uh, ti- the, the, the Bengal tigers can jump over 20 feet, but don't worry. We're, it's, it's something along the lines of yeah. we're only 15 feet away. It would jump right over us. Uh, I, w- I, I always like that I did post a good Disneyland spiel. In our uh, Marty called Facebook group, where uh, I didn't, I wasn't necessarily on the skipper. It was on my brother because uh, it was his first ride over in Disneyland. But it was a yeah. very good spiel, and he does make joke. Uh, he might make that very joke that you're talking about with the Bengal tiger, but he definitely makes jokes about um, the Indiana Jones queue, and I think the species of animals that latch onto you for eighteen to twenty-two years, something like that. Yeah, so, no, that's a good one as well. Yeah. Um, next one comes to us from uh, uh, Uncle Mac. On how many federal and state watch lists does Ben's mustache now appear? <laughs> a, I love Mac. <laughs> and B, 50. I uh, I shaved it off, guys. It's That's gone. disappointing. Yeah. Well, what, what I have learned, that was the first time I've ever grown a mustache. Believe it or not. It took me 40 years to be able to, uh, you know, man up enough to be able to grow enough facial hair to actually build one to in a little bit. actually look like a child yeah. monster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, but... <laughs> one th- it, was, one th- it was striking when I saw it. I was like, oh. One thing I did learn, though, dur- during a pandemic where they're telling you not to touch your face and you grow facial hair right underneath your nose that makes you itch and rub your nose all the time, probably doesn't uh, work real well. So, uh, yeah, one- once I started itching and touching my nose way too much because the whiskers were getting long enough, I took that bad boy off. So there Mac are- doesn't have to worry. <laughs> there are two parts of my body that I touch constantly, and one of them is my face. <laughs> Ladies, you can guess what the other ones are. <laughs> well, that really landed. <laughs> <laughs> we don't exactly have a live studio audience here to get on. I'm sending jokes. Derek a text right now to ask if he wants to do a podcast with me. <laughs> Tim's being very cold and hurtful. <laughs> 
Uh, we got another question from, uh, actually, no, let's save that one for uh, the Muppet Show. Um, Drew's MGM related question we can ignore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ken the listeners Winterford. love it when you when you tell them you're ignoring their question. Yep, he already got one in. Um, Ken Weatherford, has anyone ever jumped out of the boat? I know that guy. Hi, Ken. How's Abby? That's his wife. She's very beautiful. Yeah, hubba hubba. Um, not that I'm Soul aware staying of. staying in. <laughs> uh, the, there's, there was one guest that fell off the dock. Uh okay. While I was there, and that one, does not count as jumping out of the boat. But nah, okay. <laughs> as far as jumping out of the boat, no. Uh, in that's is shocking. Another, well, yeah. I, I tell you the one, and, and we never had it over in my area. Again, probably happened. I don't know, but not just during my time. But uh, I had friends that worked over at Splash Mountain, and one of the most popular areas to jump out of any attraction at, at Disney world was at the top of splash mountain. Either people would freak out and get out at that point, or if the ride would break and you would stop and you, you know, the, the, the the log that's up there next to almost right over the edge, people would freak out Mm -hmm. and they would jump out there all the time. And so one of the, uh, during the training, they had to practice getting up those stairs that you see on the right side of the logs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The cast members had to train on getting up those as fast as they could from the load and unload positions to recover a guest if they did get out of the logs at that point, because that is super dangerous to be up yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, so we didn't have it, but I heard it happening at, at Frontierland and over at a Splash Mountain uh, more I have a times show idea, than once. But that just gave me a great idea for a show. Because I'm just don't curious. Don't share with us. We don't want to know. Okay. Keep it to yourself. <laughs> All right, done. I'm st- I'm sending it to Gary. <laughs> I have alternate outlets for this. <laughs> that does kind of that does kind of pose the question, and this very well might be what you're thinking of about getting evacuated off of uh, uh, attractions at precarious you're close. positions. You're, you're definitely yeah. you're getting warmer. You're you're in the ballpark of my. Um, I don't know. Have you, I've, I don't know if I've ever been evac from Splash Mountain or really any water ride. But I've been evac from a couple of roller coasters at uh, some interesting positions. Thunder Mountain um, on one of the lift hills and then Everest in the uh, Yeti projection room. Um, so kind of got to walk underneath the uh, the belly of that attraction, which was pretty cool. Did you see they, the little diapers on the floor soaking up the hydraulic fluid? Uh, there was there was hydraulic fluid visible when I when I walked wow. by. That's that's pretty sad considering <laughs> how many years in we are to that. How much fluid do they have in that bitch? But it, it was... It is very much. I mean, you see like the backside of the uh, the studio backlot tour when you only when you see the guts of the house and you only create what the camera can see. It mm-hmm. is very true in Everest, and I know that like during that backwards section, you can see some of the guts a little bit when it's uh, during the daytime. But uh, when you open a door, it is absolutely Just structural scaffold- steel scaffolding. and yeah. scaffolding. It is. Uh, it, that's it cool though. I love, I love that. To me, that's the most interesting part. I, I, that, that's always, I think what brought me into this community is, is the backside of not water, but you know, all these attractions. Um, yeah. there, there's, it's, it's the same as magic. And I guess Disney certainly, you know, portrays itself as being a magician to some degree, but, uh, on the one hand you want to see the trick, but, uh, there's an, there's a counterpart to that that is wanting to know how the trick is done. Right. Um, and that certainly, I think all three of us are, are staunchly in that camp of, we like to know how the tricks are done and we, we appreciate it. There are a lot of people out there who say that once you know, it ruins it. And for me, that's never really been the case. Oh, uh, yeah. for, for me, it, it allows me to appreciate, 
um, the minds and the creativity and the ingenuity of people who put these things together in the first place. And I, I know that's not everyone. Um, I think but it's I'm different glad- if you're a kid. I mean, we're in our 30s, in Josh's case, early 60s, that as adults, you can... You 69. Can, <laughs> you can appreciate the technical side of things. Yeah. While also being able to separate the enjoyment of what you're intended to see. So I remember the first time I saw Santa Claus's hydraulic system. It was impressive. <laughs> Didn't ruin it for me at all. I think I may have mentioned this before here, but I mean, that was the, the reason I wanted to work there. Wasn't, you know, it wasn't to necessarily be a, a jungle skipper. I wanted to get a job there to see all the behind the scenes stuff. I yeah. wanted I wanted to know how it all worked. And so in getting to do that was absolutely amazing and anybody who ever has that kind of interest I would encourage them to to do the same thing that I did and it you know I've gone back every year since uh except for this year and maybe next year <laughs> depending on what happens. But there are uh, some great tours that allow for that too. Yeah. Yeah, hasn't ruined the hasn't ruined the magic for me whatsoever. It's made me appreciate it, you know, that much more to be honest. Um Josh, what was your idea that we uh, shot on without knowing what it was? Uh, I was wondering what your guys, if there's an attraction that you would most like to be uh, evac from. Ah, okay. And, you know, more specifically, what point on the attraction would you like that to occur? That's definitely another show. Yeah, and that's fine. To me, that's a highlight. You know, that's not a that's not a yeah. detractor. I mean, if I were to you know rise or something like that, I would want to I would want to experience the canonical version of that first. But right, there's so right. many rides that we've been on, you know, a hundred times or five hundred times that at this point, you know, the highlight would be getting to see it from a different perspective. So maybe yeah. we'll put that in the uh, list of things we could do for other shows. There's a few things that are kind of in that vein as well. Like, what attraction would you like to ride for the first time again? Um, hmm. And it's, it's kind of the opposite side of that, but something that you've probably done a hundred times, but, you know, would like to be blown away by initially again. If, um, if I could have my mind blanked MIB style and ride Horizons <laughs> for the first time again, I'm very curious to know whether or not I'm full of shit. Um, <laughs> because I think that that is the most incredible attraction that I've ever experienced. And that is my memory. And that is my impression. Um, yeah. but, but I do wonder if I saw it for the first time now without, you know, the experience of knowing that it goes away without the nostalgic connection, I would love to know as a, uh, you know, strapping 29 year old, what I would feel that that ride actually represents. Yeah. Uh, I got a couple more here. Uh, this one from John Poca I'm sure that's butchered. Uh, do you want to spell this? P-O-K-O-J-N-Y. You guys got any ideas? Grassy. Grassy. Okay, John Grassy, my long-lost brother. Uh, what is the most number of times in a day you skippered a boat in one shift? And what is the most number of times you heard someone skippering a boat in a shift? Oh, God, I couldn't tell you. Uh, I mean, I you mean, said, I, what, seven, eight in a row, but that's That was in a, a row, yeah. Show, yeah. Uh, I mean, I was doing 12 to 14-hour shifts. Oh, gosh. And again, and you said that that was, it's a 10 minute haul, right? Roughly. It's a 10 minute haul, roughly. So 12 to 14 hour shifts. If you're doing two to four uh, times around the river uh, per hour, you know, you can do the math right there to kind of figure out a ballpark. I don't know off Carry the top the of my one, head. 24, <laughs> uh, 6,000 times per. Uh, there we go. That's uh, correct. Per shift. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I, de- I never kept track of, uh, you know, how many times I never wanted to like beat a record or anything like that. Uh, but okay. that was, uh, a kind of a rough ballpark, you know, two to four times around. And, and then you just multiply that out by how many hours you had to work a, a shift. And as a gotcha. college program kid on an attraction that was about to go down for refurb, we had, 
the longest shifts by far. And so, uh, yeah, I, I've been around the thing once or twice. <laughs> That's what she said. Uh, Josh, <laughs> I think you said you had a question. I did. I was wondering what, it, in terms of non-empty boats, what is the smallest crowd that you ever had to spiel to on that ride? One family. One family. Okay. So three, four yeah. people then. Three, four, five people, somewhere like that, which is a very, very odd. And and yeah. <laughs> so here's how that happens. That would happen late in the like either very early in the day when the park just opened and nobody rope drops Jungle Cruise, uh, or late in the day as the parks are winding down. And Doesn't it okay. seem like they should have jokes drafted just for that scenario? Because it's it certainly it's you know it's an environment that just begs to be played upon. Well, it yeah. only happens in the rarest of occasions, and I'll tell you okay. why. Because so maybe it's not worth it then. Yeah, what you would do is you would hold up boats going out until a gotcha. certain number of people will come in. The okay. problem is you can only hold so many boats in the dock before you got boats coming in coming in yeah. so if if you can't get enough people on there you eventually have to send a boat out right and that's when uh, you know there's only a couple of once maybe twice where i would have a very 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 small crew in there uh now what would happen sometimes is we would keep those people on the dock and actually not load them in until people gathered in the queue and at that point if if you didn't get enough people to put on a boat, just boats are still coming boat. through. You would send an empty boat around. Yeah, gotcha. uh, and I I got to do that. One of my favorite times. Uh, I remember it exactly. It was Fourth of July, and everybody was out on Main Street for the fireworks that night. And I was working clothes at Jungle Cruise. Nobody's over in line for the Jungle Cruise <laughs> whatsoever. They're all right. they're all in their spots. I had to send an empty boat out while the fireworks were going on, and I stopped my boat in the Savannah and I laid down on the benches in the middle. And that's watch the so fireworks cool. around me. So that was <laughs> that's pretty that's, badass. That is a my, great story. Yeah, one of my absolute, and it was all just dumb luck. I was on a boat during that time in the rotation, and I was at a spot where we had to send an empty boat through, and I got lucky, and I was like, shoot, I'm gonna. Nobody's coming after me because when you're in those situations where you're sending empty boats out, it means the boat behind you is gonna be held up longer than normal. So right. it's not like a boat is right on your butt coming around the corner, and you've got to keep moving on through. Uh, and at night, you can see the lights coming around the corner behind you or in front of you to kind of have an idea of where the boats around you are. So I saw no boat coming up behind me. There was no boat in front of me. I just killed the thing in the Savannah where you had the best clearance of uh, trees. You could, And that's why I did it in that spot. You could actually had some, uh, uh, didn't have all trees just hanging over you so you could see some of the fireworks going off. So very that's, cool. why, that's, very that's cool. why you never had very small crews. You would, you would hold people up until you could get a decent number on the boat and in the rarest of circumstances, send it out with, with minimum people if you had right. to. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's awesome. very cool. Uh, last question coming in from uh, John Grassy's brother, Tim. Uh, were any of the <laughs> boats notoriously finicky? Were there good boats and bad boats? Uh, there were. I can't give you exactly uh, uh, names of which ones they were. I can tell you this, though. It was only on the old boats. Uh, okay. I, I mentioned it on the last show that I was there uh, when the new boats came online. The new boats, the new boats all ran exactly the same. You had okay. no idea which one you're on, but but with the old boats, uh, which yeah, one some, sank? Can we call that one of the bad <laughs> boats? <laughs> uh, 
and and it wasn't like it was a consistent thing. You would hear buzzing uh, around either the the breaker area or just around that you know so and so boat is not running very well today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that point, it would be pitched to the uh, coordinator on deck that they're having issues with that boat. They would make the decision to either take that boat offline or replace it with another boat that was back in storage, or just keep running it until something happened and the boat died and somebody had to tow it back in. So, uh, full operation, how many boats were on the river and in storage? Oh gosh. I don't remember. I I probably look it up. Yeah. Is it too soon to rename the one that sunk to the Titanic? (laughs) Titanic Tammy. There you go. There you go. Perfect. Nailed it. You got a, there's your show title right there. (laughs) And on that note, we might have episode three of Jungle Cruise Talk. <laughs> I think we can we can certainly continue it. Um, yeah, we, we are going to end this one, though. I definitely at some point want to get into my uh, favorite jokes and jokes I hated, and, and we got some more of the script to go through. So, uh, yeah, at some point we'll, we'll, we'll talk some more Jungle Cruise. We are wrapping this For with, sure. uh, I believe, all three of us having various reasons to log off quickly. Um, yeah, I have you, no power. <laughs> um, I, I if, have a coronavirus. <laughs> don't even joke. Too soon. Sorry. Knock um, on coronavirus. <laughs> anyway, if you have any <laughs> questions or topic ideas, you can email us at martycalled at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter under the username at martycalled or join in on the discussions in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash martycalled. We'd also appreciate our listeners bookmarking our Amazon affiliate links over on martycalled.com. You can get your toilet paper and sanitizer through our link and we get a cut. doesn't That's cost true. you anything but uh, helps fund the show with purchases you're going to make anyway. Ben, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RealSkipperBen. You can find my top 10 column in every issue of Attractions Magazine. And you can check out my new Disney fan dating site, utilahors.com. <laughs> <laughs> two, two O's for whores. Yep. <laughs> and Josh, where can we find you? Uh, I have multiple websites now. You can find me at coronafreedisney.com or at utilidors.net. I'm also now a contributing writer to WWNT. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm everywhere. Naturally, naturally. And you can find me at www.themeparks.com uh, or at www.themeparks on Twitter. That's going to do it for this show. Talk to you guys soon. I want my power back. Later. One, we get scheduled more hours because we're the college program kids are back then in the college program. Our kids are uh, 
paid on a different way through by Disney. Uh, essentially, less is paid by them and more paid by uh, the government program that we're, we were on. So they would schedule yeah. us for longer um, shifts because it was actually less too. money out of their pocket. Ben, if you're uh, back. For, for uh, payments. But as well, at, this gonna, at this that time, sound we weren't because hiring a lot of new jungle too. skippers on so because the ride was slated to go down in the fall us. for right. so we're all we're, not, we're just going to layer this so over. So when a skipper would quit really or leave, they were the less likely to backfill that position, knowing that a refurb was coming. I know he's right in the middle of the diatribe. All that did was extend the shifts of the skippers that were scheduled to begin with. So I was doing. I mean, I did a or talk over it for the first time. I did one shift where I basically crashed on a couch downstairs in. Uh, Main Street ben, because my you. shift was so short. I showered back in the in the oh, break I room. I closed and had to open oh, the next you. day, which was ridiculous. Uh, Why don't we uh, disconnect it, here? I, I didn't have a car okay. back then as well. Right, so I'm so going to keep your recording going. Okay. Take me over an hour to get okay. to I can clean that up. That's not a big deal. Okay, get back to the apartments and then an hour to get back, and there was just like no time to even mess with that. So. Uh, we, we, I, I remember some of those shifts that were just so insanely long and they would be back to back and they sucked. And I can't tell you the exact number of uh, times I would go around during that time, but it was way too many to count. 